What's your name? Kirsten. What's yours? <laughs> what is this place? This is where he takes us. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 was a box office success for New Line Cinema, but Freddy's Revenge fell flat for many horror fans. Series creator Wes Craven didn't like the movie either, but more than that, he was upset that his creation was moving on without his involvement and, perhaps more importantly, he wasn't happy about not getting paid for the mythology and the characters he invented. Craven was open to mending his relationship with New Line and series producer Robert Shea, and Craven, with the help of talented yet unproduced screenwriter Bruce Wagner, even wrote a few incarnations of the script that would eventually be the basis for the third nightmare. This would lead to more behind-the-scenes shenanigans that left Craven on the outside looking in once again, but despite the filmmaker's disputes, the movie itself ended up being a defining moment in the franchise. Though Heather Langenkamp and John Saxon returned to the roles they had played in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, the third nightmare wasn't really a return to the original's frighteningly beautiful form of horror. Instead, Nightmare 3 was a bridge from the tense atmosphere of the original to a more fun, and at times, funny style of horror that was beginning to take hold of the genre as the American slasher cycle began to wear on mainstream audiences. The dream sequences became more outlandish and fun, the kills were more gimmicky and character-specific, and Freddy's personality as a wisecracking slasher was firmly established. More so than from either of the previous movies in the series, this is the Freddy Krueger that became a cultural phenomenon. There's a lot to love about the third nightmare, but is it all good? With more kills than the original and more characters to get to know, is it possible to feel for those characters as much as we felt for Nancy and her friends just a few years before? Or does any of that even matter when you have a charismatic killer like Freddy to watch? Find out tonight as Joey and I discuss A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, here in the last theater. Welcome once again to The Last Theater. My name is Chris. And my name is Joey. And welcome to part three of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise retrospective here in The Last Theater. If this is your first time tuning in, you can go to cnjradio.com to catch up. We're not too far into it yet, so you still have time to do that before it gets too far away, because we're going ten episodes for this, all nine movies, including Freddy vs. Jason, once again, in a little bit of a different light. The remake and the wrap-up, of course, will be the tenth episode. Let's just get into part three, though. I love part three. I told you I love part three. You know I love it. Yes. And I've what? seen it many times, and I still loved it upon this rewatch. Mm -hmm. We're early into the franchise in a way, but we've already taken the good and the bad. Yeah. Now we're back to the good again. Yeah, but a different good. Yes. Dream Warriors, I remember tons of hype for this just yeah. as a kid. Freddy became an MTV VJ. Like, he yeah. was well on his way to becoming a cultural icon. Yeah. And unlike I... 2, which did really well, I'm just glad that by the time we got to 3 and starting with the true build of the celebrity of Freddy Krueger, that at least yeah. there was a good movie attached to it. Yeah, it's, it's a very fun movie. And like we do in these franchise retrospectives, the ones we've done so far have all been slasher. 
uh, American slashers. So they all kind of follow this similar kind of timeline. So if you listen to them all, like if you were to listen to all of these chronologically, like from release date in my little intro things, you'll hear like the rise and fall of the slasher as we go along in this. And this is one of, this is the point in the eighties where the slashers had been oversaturating the market and it's kind of the dip down. But this movie specifically, and because of Freddy Krueger specifically is it kind of revitalized the genre, but it also shot it off into a direction that led to things like Chucky one. I was going to say that. Yeah. This, this movie definitely made child's play happen. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, that, but it also went down the other road that led to things like Ice Cream Man and Dr. Giggles and all those kind of funny, silly ones as well. But that was also, uh, Friday the 13th also kind of led to that too. Yeah, but like even then, like by the end of 87, we're already getting into Hellraiser also. So there's yeah. there's some good in here yeah. too. In addition yeah. to Child's Play, like I don't think Pinhead could have happened if Freddy hadn't been proven to be a viable player. Yeah, Pinhead. Plus, New Line was involved with Hellraiser, so yeah. that made sense. Candyman as well. Ooh, I think. yeah. Very, Always good pull. It's all the slashers with the personality and the face as opposed to the mask. It wasn't. It's not a faceless beast. It's this thing you almost pull for in these movies, and especially Nightmare going forward after this one, you have Heather Langenkamp and John Saxon back for this one, so clearly you're going to pull for Nancy in this movie. At least you should. And Patricia Arquette, fantastic, great screamer. Yeah, you're well. uh, you're gonna pull for her as well, but you're also kind of pulling for Freddy, especially when he starts doing he makes some wisecracks in this one where he hadn't right. really done that before. Right. I don't think Freddy truly becomes sympathetic in this so much is that you know he's got jokes now. I don't think I, yeah. I don't mean to say sympathetic, right, but you're, right. you're you Ro- want rooting. to see him. You want yeah. to see him kill people. It's not as fun when he's not on the screen. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that can be said about any of these films for the most part. For the most part, yeah. like any of the other American slashers. But now you know, like, I, I think it really started with the TV. Because, I mean, it wasn't oh, so yeah. much the puppet one. That was that had some good shtick to yeah. it. Uh, but that was more of an effects thing. And it, yeah. That still wasn't showing Freddy's personality as much. Not as much, but it was a lot more outlandish. than, oh. Especially from part two, where it was mostly in the real world. Yeah. But even part one, where... He's like cutting off his own fingers and he's got the arms. It's more scary yeah. and creepy. Whereas this one, he's gigantic or he's tiny or he's a puppet. Yeah. And yeah. And of course, Joey's talking about the TV in the movie, the TV kill and not like. <laughs> not a television edit. <laughs> not, well, and not the television show. Oh, yeah. Nightmare, so, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Do we have to review that? Uh, not as part of this. So okay, yeah. good. Maybe down maybe down the road. <laughs> right. Like a decade from yeah. now. We run out of ideas. But yeah, the kills are super fun in this. And it was, even though, like I was saying, there were more characters to get to know as opposed to, like, Nancy and really just Nancy and Glenn and maybe Rod in the first one. Yeah. And the second one, you only had two people to really get to know that you cared about. Maybe the the friend. But in this one, you have the group of kids in the mental institution. They were saying it was, this was like, this was starting to become a thing in the Mm -hmm. 80s where you would even see commercials on TV, which is one of the inspirations, apparently, for why they went this route Mm -hmm. uh, in the movie as far as the writers go and a few other people so they would even say they claim they even saw television commercials being like trouble with your teen send them to us and it basically was kind of a pseudo Hmm. not not even like a military school it was a different kind like give them to us we'll sort them out yeah so it's not an insane asylum but it might as well be because they have to stay there they're yeah Required to stay there illegally, you know, because yeah. their parents signed their rights away. I mean, it's a really weird, shady thing. Yeah, yeah. And it does have that cuckoo's nest thing, but at the same time, with that being the kind of thing that it was, you saw dozens and dozens of people in there. And now yeah. it's just like, since it's kind of this new thing that's part of America, you, there's only like a handful of kids now, like a half right. a dozen of them. Yeah. 
So that's why it makes total sense. It looks realistic in that sense. Like it's yeah. not crawling with people, but it's kind of not a mainstream thing. So right, I liked that part about it. Yeah, I did too. I I don't know of anything that I didn't like about this movie because it sets up a lot of the mythology that would be taken to go forward. Uh, Hypnosil, the pills that would show yeah. up throughout the series. Yeah. Um, the background of Freddy was talked about. Even the hospital that they're in, I believe, pops back up in it might be Freddy vs. Jason I can't remember I think it's the same one it might be yeah it's just out of town of Springwood you know yeah this is definitely I think this is the first nightmare that I ever saw I can't remember specifically but I'm pretty sure it is the first one I saw on cut for sure I know that for a fact yeah and yeah so talking about the kids before we really get too much more into the movie I do want to talk about a little bit of the controversy I found out reading Fangoria and stuff from the behind the scenes side yeah let's hear it so Wes Craven was back uh, apparently because I read different interviews from different people there wasn't one from Robert Shea or anyone from that side but Wes Hmm. Craven did one and he was talking about how yes he did not like part two he had made the suggestions which I had talked about on the previous episode about what they should do with flipping it to where the female was the hero of the movie and not right. not the guy, and they kind of disregarded him. But more than that, he wasn't apparently wasn't getting paid. He didn't come out and <laughs> say that, but the way he was talking was that he was making no money for the for characters that, property, that really? he created because apparently he's it's kind of maybe a little bit his fault. The way he put it in this interview, of course, it's one sided. Yeah, but he was like, I thought. It was in the contract that I would get paid for this, but apparently it wasn't. Mm. That's kind of what he said. Wow. And I did talk about at that time, which was only, this came out two years after part two. Yes. And like I talked about in the last one, Craven was wanting to do more mainstream movies, trying to get away from the blood and guts persona that people looked at him. He was getting, like he was saying, that the scripts he was getting to direct or to help rewrite or whatever were all kind of the same and not that good. And he was looking to do more mainstream things, so he branched out. Deadly Friend was one that he was working on around this time. And that got kind of worked more into a horror. It wasn't initially like that because of his name. Gotcha. He was also doing, like, Twilight Zone, I believe, at the time. Oh, yeah, the 80s version? Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, even though they rewrote a bunch of their old episodes for that series, that's the first time I saw any of them. 80s Twilight Zone's a big deal for me, so that's really neat. And he was talking about how proud he was of that because it kind of showed his range. He did, like, I think he said at the time five episodes and it was, like, different things. Yeah, you don't have to do do all horror when you do Twilight Zone. You can do a bunch of different things. Exactly. So he was happy with that. But he always had a love for this thing that he created. So he did want to come back. Not come back to New Line, but work with them again. Sure. Possibly. He wanted to make Freddy great again. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Wow. So he initially... I don't know if this was ever official. Apparently it wasn't. But he was going to come back and write, and he assumed that he would direct part three. Ah. And he was kind of busy at the time, so he got this other guy, Bruce Wagner, to help write the script. But he still intended to direct once the time came for that. However... On the New Line side, Robert Shea, the producer of the series so far, apparently took... Craven did like three versions of the script with Wagner. Yeah. And Shea took the script and had this guy, Chuck Russell, who ended up directing the movie, uh, first-time director. Um, (laughs) He got the job... Once again! He got the job based on... He produced, what was it, uh, Dreamscape, the movie Dreamscape. Uh, also Money. Yeah, yeah producer, okay. it's money. Yeah, but he <laughs> apparently went to Shay, or Shay went to him, and 
Shay liked Russell's ideas for rewrites on Craven's and Wagner's script, so that's how he got the directing job. First time directing. But apparently, Shay took this script that Craven and Wagner had written with modifications from Russell, and that's what was going around town to everyone for like auditions and, and just like Hollywood reading it. Sure. But Craven and Wagner's names were not on that script, oh. which was a violation of Writers Guild rules. No kidding, and, man. Yeah, and of course, cutting him out of money as well, things like that. So Craven made a stink, basically. Good. Got Rightfully his, so. Got his name back on it. But basically, Craven was never on set at any point during part three because they never even told him when they were shooting. Wow. Um, Heather Langenkamp actually was contacted by Craven as he was writing the initial drafts. Yeah. And she kind of signed on because she assumed that Craven would write and direct. Yeah, I would think so. Same with Saxon, probably, right? Uh, I don't Maybe. know about that. Maybe. But this this was from one of the interviews sure. on the uh, Blu-ray that we watched. But, of course, getting Heather to come back is a big deal. Yeah. And, like, she obviously signed under those pretenses, like right. you said. And then she basically said she showed up and it wasn't Craven. It was Chuck Russell. And she was like, oh, well, I'm doing, I have to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and now she's under contract. And she but... was real nice about the way she was kind of dancing in between, like, disappointment and obligation i guess sure, sure yeah and the movie's good the movie ended up being good but i just wonder what craven's if craven had been able to have full creative control which he probably should have yeah because his movie was that influential yeah but uh yeah so eventually he did him and wagner did get their names as the story credits yeah and co-screenwriting credits but he was basically never a part of anything besides giving that initial script am i right in assuming that craven's initial approach was more to focus on the mythology and, and origin of freddy uh is that is that right to assume it seems sort of there was actually so we can talk about this yeah. uh, apparently john saxon and robert england both had pitches for the movie as well and craven was asked about this and he was like yeah i bet everyone had pitches for this movie <laughs> i bet i think he's even said like like shay's daughters probably had pitches for the movie or something <laughs> So kind of, I, I love, like, Craven just, yeah. he's real nice about what he says, even sure. when he's kind of being not nice about what sure. he's saying. Yeah, Throw, uh, throwing some shade, as yeah. the kids say. So John Saxon's pitch was actually an origin story. It okay. was going back and talking about Freddy Krueger, and it actually ended up having Freddy being framed for these murders and being wrongfully killed by the parents of Elm Street. Oh, which was a which was a red herring for the yeah. remake coming up. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I don't... Yeah. So, I, I don't think I really liked that version of sure. it, and I'm not... Personally, not a big fan of origin yeah. stories anyway. Yeah. And I had heard that apparently the movie starts off in one of the original drafts with him showing Freddy being born. Like oh, in a barn or really? something like that, yeah. yeah. Maybe oh wow, like a Jesus in the manger yeah, illusion. Basically, yeah, wow. yeah. That's what I heard. Wow. Um, Robert England's idea was more. He called it Freddy's Funhouse, and it seemed like more outlandish and like oh, with Cherry course, and uh, Terry yeah, and exactly, yeah. <laughs> and it, Captain that's kind of what it sounded like. Uh, you're not that far off, but basically, <laughs> it was people coming into Freddy's domain and it was just outlandish and yeah. of course Freddy would be center stage because he is Freddy I wonder if that's where um, Ghoulies 2 comes from yeah Funhouse yeah and there was Funhouse also on right. top of that yeah yeah Oof. all right yeah Toby Hooper's Funhouse yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's not, good yeah. not bad yeah but Craven's original vision as I understand it from reading these Fangoria's it looked like John Saxon's character uh, Donald was his name I couldn't remember oh. when we were talking about it before <laughs> 
but he was going to be kind of the main character. And after seeing his wife die at the hands of Freddy, so apparently that was real world stuff according to Craven's head. Weird. When he was writing the script, when okay. she got sucked down into the bed. oh the bed, not the not the door. Not, yeah, not the after part where she got where she <laughs> went down into the blue mist in the bed. Yeah. Which makes as much sense, I guess. It's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, because Craven's reading these interviews, Craven said that his initial ending for the movie was in the bedroom when Nancy turns around and says, you have no power. That was the end. There was nothing sure. after that. Yeah. So that makes sense. Would have been better. Yeah. But his idea completely ignored the second one, of course. Sure. Which this movie did, too, anyway. Yes. But John you. Saxon's character would have been obsessed and obviously freaked out yeah. by that and was going to hunt down Freddy and it was basically him tracking down Freddy in some way. I don't. It didn't really explain yeah. a whole lot. Like it sounds like he gets to be more like a PI. He's obviously been yeah. fired because yeah. he's just wait. He's gone over the edge right. with this, and he's out as a cop. But he yeah. gets to be a PI. Yeah. And that's what happens. It's a, lot a personal of vendetta, and he ends up finding Freddy's house or whatever. I'm not, I'm not sure if they mean like the Thompson house or actually something. Maybe the boiler. Room. I don't know. He didn't yeah. explain it. Okay. And Heather Langenkamp would be there too. Nancy, as I should say she would kind of follow along and get involved because her father was doing all this stuff. Gotcha. The kids were actually there as well. He didn't really explain how all of this tied together. I guess because they're Elm Street kids, so yeah. they have this maybe mental connection yeah. as you see throughout this movie. Right. So, yeah, that was his pitch, was actually following Nancy's father more than anything else, which would have been mm. interesting. I would I could, I can get behind John Saxon being the protagonist in a horror movie, but also at the same time... Mm. I think the female leads in the Nightmare series work really, really well. Nancy and Kristen and this one and yeah. on and on. So I kind of like how it ended up in the final version. Yeah. I just, I wish I could read that script, you know. Sure. Be kind of like Chinatown meets Charlie's Angels. Meets, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or meets Halloween. Sure, meets, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> meets Ghostbusters because <laughs> of the Dream Warrior factor. I don't know. But it sounds like a movie I'd watch. Yeah, exactly. for sure. Uh, but since we're on this, before we get back into the movie itself, uh, I did want to mention that Chuck Russell did have a writing partner when he had signed on to direct and he rewrote Wagner and Craven's script. Did he get a credit? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's four, uh, yeah, there's four people on the script and the fourth person is a man named Frank Darabont, who I believe many people will know because he is a, he went on to do many great, great things in the world yeah. of cinema. Well, he's, he's a good adapter apparently. Yeah. Like he'll take source material and adapt it for the screen really well. Yeah. I mean, you could, I, I read down some of his credits. Mm-hmm. What do we got? Like, there's a, there's some Stephen King stuff. Shawshank so, Redemption and The Green Mile. Yeah, like that's yeah that those are huge. Which both both Oscar nominated for best adapted screenplay, and Shawshank was nominated for best picture, I do believe. Yeah, and yeah. I believe isn't wasn't he a, a big writer on one of your favorite shows from the last decade? Yes, he helped develop The Walking Dead when it's in its initial run during the first season, and he sure. wrote some of the scripts for the first season. He backed away because he had creative differences with the direction it was going after that but he's still credited as like one of the creators of that show his credit is still on the like how many seasons later 10 seasons later god yeah it's a a show that won't die (laughs) you know in that kind of a way it's very meta now at this point but i like the show still no that's fine i i to be fair i haven't watched it still (laughs) but correct me if i'm wrong wasn't this his first official credit as a writer Yes, because he did a short film prior to this, I so, believe. But yeah. first feature length, first feature. Yeah, that's a 
good credit to start out with. Yeah. This is a nice credit, even though it seems to be created in chaos. Yeah. It's a very cool creative script. And to be fair, I think the team of Russell and Darabont did really, really well with this. Yeah. And they would both go on to do really good stuff. We just talked about Frank Darabont. He also did uh, The Fly Part 2 and The Blob and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yeah. and The Mist. So oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's very involved. He directed The Mist as well, Darabont did. Uh, Chuck Russell went on to direct The Blob and The Mask and maybe kind of fell off a little bit after that. He did like yeah. The Scorpion King and, oh, and some other stuff. But, yeah, that movie's awful. But he had a good run there sure. in like the, that, that little yeah. part of time. All adapted fair, but all quality versions of those adaptations, yeah. if I do yeah. say so. So it was, it was good stuff. So it, it, it ended up being good for the fans. It just sucks for one of my favorite writer-directors of all time, Wes yeah. Craven, who kept getting pushed to the outside yeah. from his own creation. And I almost kind of feel bad for the other guys, too, because I'm sure that wasn't their... Like, I'm sure they weren't getting any pleasure out of yeah. this. Yeah. They just... Who's going to say no to that? Right. Yeah, you, you for would, sure. You know, you'd have to just hopefully make it up to him later Yeah. at some point. <laughs> and just to kind of wrap all this up, Craven, in that interview that I read in Fangoria, was basically saying that after all this had happened and he realized that Robert Shea just wanted Wes Craven's name on, like, on the poster... That's all he wanted because yeah. he cut him out of everything else. And Robert Shea, I think I said this a little bit before, he doesn't seem like a really cool dude. Yeah, we talked about that on yeah, two. Because in this one, it wasn't as heinous as what he did to the star of the previous movie. But Fangoria asked him about, hey, like part two didn't really do that well with horror fans. And Robert Shea was quoted as saying, with all due respect to your readers, Fangoria doesn't have the circulation of People magazine. So basically he's saying, I don't care so much about the hardcore horror fans that, that made this a phenomenon yeah. from the first one. I'm going for variety and people and mainstream and dollars, dollar signs. Sure, That's sure, what he of says. Course, so. of course. Yeah. It's just interesting, like, Robert Shea is kind of the bad guy so far in the behind the scenes, whereas when we did our Halloween thing, Mustafa Akkad is, even though his not all of his decisions were great, yeah. like he is like the father figure and like a good dude throughout sure. the entire series. Yeah, it seems like his intentions were good, and, you know, it seems like he kind of wanted to do the right thing at the end of the day, even, yeah. if, his, even if his approach was flawed at times. Right. But yeah, I never got that sense of like, oh, this guy's just a Hollywood dickhead. Yeah. It's just, this is truly a guy that has delusions of grandeur here. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm going to wind up producing some huge franchise for Disney or something right. at some point. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what, what he was like. probably looking at. Yeah. The big brass ring. And he couldn't just settle for the little dirty claw in Freddy's hand. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as a segue back into the movie itself, thank you. In Craven's original script, the character that Patricia Arquette played was listed as Kirsten. But in the movie, she is called Kristen. However, twice in the movie, her name is pronounced Kirsten. Never noticed that before. Yeah, because I noticed it on this this previous watch. In is the, somebody in particular saying it wrong? I don't think so, because it's two different people. Okay, no, no, I was just asking. In the first dream sequence, where uh, Kristen is... She goes up to the little girl on the tricycle. Gotcha. She says, hi, what's your name? She says, Kirsten. Okay. I I watched it like three times now, sure. and like definitely she says that. All right. And then in the film we have the film debut of Kirsten Dunst right yes. then and there, before <laughs> and she played a little vampire. Later, yes, and later on when Nancy <laughs> goes to Kristen's mom. 
to say to get her stuff from the house and she yeah. discovers the paper mache house that she had made and everything yeah. Kristen's mom calls her Kirsten once in that scene however Nancy says Kristen and her mom says Kristen later on too so mm. I'm not sure what happened mm. but maybe they were just mispronouncing or maybe they had it in their brain but in my head I hear I hear them say Kirsten and that's why it confused me because I wrote I take notes while we're watching yeah, yeah. and I was writing down the names of the characters and when Kristen said her name the first time. Yeah. It sounded like Kirsten, so that's what sure. I wrote down. I had sure. to mark it out. So I don't know. That's just my <laughs> no, segue, right. long segue back into it. Um, let's... Well, while we're trashing the mom, still, can I officially just add her to the garbage people file? Like right now, yeah, she, she is an absolute garbage person. She's pretty garbage. Yeah, it's funny because there's a cameo in this film by Zsa Zsa Gabor, right. and the whole movie she just acts like Zsa Zsa Gabor, even yeah, though that's yeah. not her. Right. But it might as well be. Yeah. <laughs> it it is interesting, and it follows the same theme of the parents in this series being partly the cause of stuff that's happening and just being horrible people uh with the exception of nancy's father because he eventually tries to do the right thing in these movies and you and you could tell they go back and look at part one be like what worked here yeah you know without us completely redoing it what worked here yeah i completely saw Kristen as just a rich version of tina like they had the same exact mom at the beginning of the movie same thing. That's true. Yeah. I, I got I got yeah. I got this dude that you don't know in my bed. Yeah. And I need to get to that. And I and feel, it was the same thing. It was a little parallel yeah, there. I feel like that opening sequence was a hundred percent visual callback to when after Tina has that dream at the beginning of the first one where Kristen's mom comes in. Same it looks the same to me, yeah. pretty yeah. much. So much so that when I go back to watch the first one. I think of this one because I remember that scene so vividly yeah. of Kristen's mom coming in because they do it in a dream as well. Yeah. And that was always burned into my brain as like yeah. one of those like, oh my God, sequences later on when she's killed by Freddy in that scene. Well, I don't know if she's actually killed, but the dream version is. Right. And I, I love, by the way, I, I know I said this to you when we were watching it this last time, just just her getting up and looking over the bed when she sees the girls yeah. jumping rope in slow-mo and seeing the house. I actually could relate to that. I said, because... I didn't have a big headboard. I had like no headboard or anything where I grew up sleeping. Yeah. And for some reason, I would always look over the, the pillow. <laughs> yeah. So when I saw, it, I was like, "Man, I've done that so many times." Yeah. So it was just like that little thing. But yeah, I love this open, almost as good, if not as good, as the first nightmare opening in the first. Right. One. Yeah, it's great. I love the dreams in this movie. They are a bit different. They're easier to understand, and they're very straightforward, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, they're not as visually like dreamlike because the sheep in the first one uh, yeah, and different yeah. things, the snakes and yeah. the stuff and just things being out of place like that. Yeah. It's more eerie in the first one. Yeah. Whereas this one is like, okay, I get it. Giant snake that looks like a thing that's, yeah. that's eating this, this young woman. And I like that a couple of times you don't know it's a dream until it's too late. Yeah. And that's in the very first one. The, so Kristen is in a room alone. She's, making the, the paper mache house that is Nancy's house from the first movie yeah. and the house from the second movie. And she has to go to bed and then, because her mom comes in and tells her to go to bed. Yeah. And one of the things that also always stuck with me in that <laughs> opening sequence was spoonful of coffee grounds and Diet Coke. Yeah. I, I remember that to this day. And yeah. I've never done it, but I don't know why. It, that just always stuck with me. Sure. I don't know why. 
Keith Richards lives off those. <laughs> right. All right, a little back to the beach uh, call right. there for you. There you go. You won't hear a lot of those references on any other show. So Kristen goes into the house and she meets the little girl. Another thing that has always stuck with me is the little girl herself. Yeah. When she picks her up and carries her through the house. And when the girl says something like, put me down, you're hurting me. And she looks down and it's just a skeleton with yeah. hair, matted hair and decaying. Yeah. Like that still kind of freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. It's just, it's super well done. Yeah. And then we think she wakes up, but she didn't. So yeah. it's, it's taking that dream from the first sequence. Cause there are a lot of parallels between the two from the first movie and saying, okay, there's that thing, but wait a minute, there's more because we find out she's still in a dream yeah. when she goes into the bathroom and Freddy's in the mirror and the, the faucet handles become hands and yeah. claws it's it's all super super well done the effects the way it everything is constructed is, is really really good interesting that freddie didn't kill her yeah like that's the weird thing how much wherewithal does freddie have here did and why was it important to get her into the position of the thing i guess he realizes that she's part of this lineage yeah. of kids yeah. so the only way to get her in there get everybody under one roof i guess that's important to him and it helps him with his yeah. powers is just to have her merely just look like she's attempting suicide. Because if he wanted to kill her, he would have killed he her. Could've. And that yeah. always stuck with me. Like, she doesn't die. Like, and it's like, oh, huh. And I never really, like, broke it down that much yeah. in my head. But I think there has to be something there. They don't mention that. They ever. don't. I think that's for us to extrapolate and yeah. kind of figure out on our own. She never has that aha moment with yeah. Nancy. Yeah. Like, you know how I got in here? Like, yeah. that's not me. Right. Like, that would have been really cool to have that part in yeah, there, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you have to think, like, Tina didn't die either in her first dream. Yeah. So, I... But they do introduce the idea in this movie that Freddy does gain power with the souls of the kids he kills. Yeah. Like, he literally rips off his shirt late yeah. in the movie, and you see the faces of his victims coming out of his chest, which yeah. I love that as well. Yeah. It's all super cool. It's a hell of a visual. Yeah. And maybe it kind of goes back to even the first one, where it's the fear that gives him the power, and maybe she's not scared of him enough yet. Yeah. Um, she seems pretty terrified, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know. So, yeah, maybe he was kind of manipulating her into a certain position for him to be able to get, yeah. like, all of them at the same time. Well, it's too bad he didn't know what her entire talent was. Yeah. Else he probably wouldn't have bothered with her at all. Right. I'll get her later. Yeah. Let me fill up on these and then I can go right. get her. Yeah. He had no clue. But she also had some sort of connection to maybe Freddy or just the house. Something. There was some connection there because she yeah. was dreaming of the house yeah. before. Well, I mean, she had had dreams prior to this. Yeah. And we don't really know if the other kids had ever dreamed of the house or not. Yeah. They do dream of Freddy, obviously, yeah. but it's just uh, we don't know the rest. Yeah. Know? So because they don't seem to know their way around that house either. Yeah. So probably not. Yeah. That's all Kristen's doing. Yeah. It all kind of centers on Kristen for some reason, which isn't a hundred percent explained, yeah. but it works well for how the movie turns out because she is central to defeating Freddy as well. So maybe I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of push and pull, yeah. like the way he had with Nancy. Nancy figured out yeah. that if you're not scared of him, he can't. Well, he yeah. can hurt you still apparently, but it's harder for him to hurt you. I feel like Wes Craven would have expounded upon that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it would have been explained a little more. Because I do think Chuck Russell, as good of a director as he can be, I think that some of the rewrites kind of dumb, not I wouldn't say dumbed down, but they kind of lessened the mythology of it. It added some cool spots, but it yeah. wasn't like, I'm going to explain this to you. We just need to tell you enough to get to some really cool sequences that are going to be really fun. Yeah, And 
One thing, I, this is kind of the callback I always do when we've talked about movies like A Black Christmas is a good example, another John Saxon movie. Yeah. This is one of the movies I point to where, hey, these movies can have some merit. Look at the cast. Yeah. Now, not all these people are household names, but people recognize Patricia Arquette now. Freaking Lawrence Fishburne. Larry Fishburne. Yeah, excuse me. Larry yeah. Fishburne. Speaking of Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He hadn't broken quite through yet. Right. He was getting some roles, you know, doing all right. Yeah. Like, and, but not, like I said, not just the household names. Yeah. But everybody in this movie is a good actor. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably the only real vanilla actor in it, although I think he probably did do his best, was the male lead, Nancy's, uh, yeah. like, pseudo-boyfriend in the movie. Yeah. Kind of vanilla. But everybody else, man, just really hits a home run in this one. And I believe everybody in it. I'm supposed to hate the head nurse, the nurse ratchet type uh, woman, because she's not sympathetic. But she's good. That's good character fodder. It builds everybody else up. And, man, just everybody's cool in this thing. Yeah. She's an interesting character, too, because you can tell that she does care about the kids. But she has this really, like, old school kind of disciplined way of doing things. Whereas Nancy comes in. Nancy has gone. She's gotten her, I believe, her master's by this point. Because yeah. it's seven years, six, six, seven years later. Yeah, yeah, After yeah. the first one, yeah, not after the second one. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it's almost real time. Because yeah. this was released in 87. So it's, like, one year off, I think. It's it's around the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the narrative that, like, even though you might be a little older, even if mm. your intention is good you you don't really see the progress you don't see yeah. point a to point b yeah you're kind of old and in the way yeah even if you're yeah like i said even if you're doing good work you're right. kind of old and in the way you're not trying to accept new things here yeah and, and that's where nancy and and the buffer is the guy in the middle yeah because he likes nancy and yeah they start to have course. a relationship and that's yeah. that's kind of but he sees what the kids are going through and he cares for them enough and he sees that the nurse's methods aren't working and they're actually making things worse so he kind of goes with nancy who is kind of the opposite of her she's young and she has these outside the box ideas experimental ideas she's taking hypnosil herself to suppress her dreams and she more importantly though she understands the kids because she's closer to their age total first-hand experience yeah she's the survivor yeah just her yeah and i mean nobody in the room really knows that but just her empathy for the kids that's what wins him over i think and causes him to go to that side which costs him his job and a whole bunch of other stuff but uh (laughs) the the nurse character the i forget her name i didn't write that down actually just call her nurse ratchet right yeah (laughs) so nurse ratchet i say that she's a really interesting character because she does kind of crack down um, they have the group sessions, and after the second one where Joey gets taken by Freddy, he's basically yeah. he's in a coma. Like after all of her crackdowns and putting Kincaid in the quiet room all this time and saying everyone's gonna get sedated, you're gonna have to go to sleep. I'm gonna make you do it. She still obviously cares for the kids because when Doctor Gordon is the guy, okay. when he gets dismissed for Joey being in a coma. When he talks to the nurse, I believe her when she says that she's going to do everything she can for the kids. Yeah. She just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And that's, she doesn't know she's sentencing them to death. Yeah. And I think that's really cool because that's one of the few older people in the whole series so far that even though they don't accept what's going on and they think the kids are stupid, she still wants to do the right thing. Whereas other ones, Tina's mom, Kristen's mom... Glenn's dad like they all are actively working against the kids yeah Yeah. she is as well 
but she's not doing it on purpose. Right. So I think it's an interesting character. Yeah, after a long line of people, the adults that didn't do the yeah. right thing, she at least is somewhat sympathetic, yeah. and, I, and that's cool also. Another great extra factor added to this franchise. Yeah, it's fleshing all these characters out, even though there are more characters, and you don't get to know all of them super well. It's fleshing them all out enough to where they're memorable. Yeah, it's memorable all around. Yeah, it's hard for me to think I'm adding anything to this just because I like the movie so much. It's just, <laughs> know, it's just a fun movie. It's just super fun. It's my go-to of the franchise. So it, it probably makes me like four more than I should. But we'll talk about that on the next. Yeah, because I had. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have I'm a excited great memory four. of four and five or yeah. beyond three necessarily, yeah, uh, yeah. but I haven't seen them as much either. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how that goes, especially watching them this close together yeah. to see how uh, I feel about the rest of them. Because I know I don't like some of the kills later on, but uh, in this one I do like the kills a whole lot because yeah. the the effects are all really good. They all stick with you. Yeah. Like, you remember every kill in this movie, yeah. even though that's not what you're kind of supposed to do, but it happens. Yeah, you kind of are as yeah, well in this yeah, one. Yeah. In this one, you are. And that's also, once again, going back to one. Like, what worked in one. Yeah. Like... Can, do you really want to remember or remember any great kills in two? Not really, no. No, because like, it all most of the kills happened at the pool party. Yeah, so. yeah. We had, oh, when they killed the coach. No, that's terrible. Yeah. It's awful. It's Just stupid. The, the coach and the the friend, the guy friend. Oh yeah, was the only ones. <laughs> yeah, but that was you didn't even see it. Yeah, just claw of the gut. Yeah, done. This is let's bring the bed back without bringing it back. Let's right. you know let's <laughs> do all those things that made one great and. Yeah. That's what makes it a truly great sequel. Yeah. It's uh, and I always I always try to do this when we do like roundtable questions. You know, we just passing time at work or something mm-hmm. and being like part three that's better than part two. Yeah. That one's on the short list for sure. This one easily three yeah. warriors hundred percent. Yeah. So talking about the kids. Sorry, I, I sound like I just wrapped up the episode. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> we still got we still got some stuff yeah, to talk yeah, about. Okay. Uh, I do want to talk about all the kids because they they are I like every one of them and they don't each get a lot of screen time, but they're all they all have their gimmick. They all have their personality trait that makes them interesting. Philip has the marionettes that he makes. Will is the dungeon master or the wizard yeah. master, as they call, because I don't think they can use the no, D&D it, stuff. No, get sued. But apparently he was a real dungeon... What do you call him? Dungeon master. Yeah, dungeon master. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of those. I don't know why I couldn't pull that. But <laughs> apparently he was one in real life, so good for yeah. him. That's, that's yeah. good method acting right there. Uh, Joey is the mute. Watching it this last... He said he was a debater. Uh, if you heard oh, in some of the dialogue, he was that. a debater prior to all really? this. Yeah, so... Freddie screwed him up real bad. Yeah, <laughs> like it's so watching it this last time. This is just a side tangent. When Joey is introduced, there's the lo- the shot of when Doctor Gordon and Max are walking down the hallway, and Doctor Gordon's talking to all the kids mm-hmm. and everything. Um, when he walks by and he says, "Hey, Joey," and Joey walks out and he sees the nurse that he has a crush on. Joey has uh, like a teardrop tattoo on his face. Yeah. I I hadn't noticed that before until yeah. I saw the Blu-ray. Yeah, I don't know, about? and it doesn't seem to stay. It's not. It, yeah. it, by the next scene, it's not there, so I don't really know what's, yeah. what's going on with that. It's not like he killed somebody in China. <laughs> right. So uh, Not that we yeah. know of, at least. Yeah. Uh, did he stab somebody during the debate finals? <laughs> right. Like, what happened with this guy? I mean, he probably just drew it on his face during the day. I guess. It'd be funny if he just did it, and they were like, let's see if they say anything, and no one said anything. Right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> I'm going to get back at this director. You're not Wes Craven. <laughs> 
Um, and then you have Kincaid, who's the angry guy yeah. that, that wants to beat everything up, um, but understandably angry because nobody's listening to any of them. And then Taryn, who is probably my favorite. I love it when she's in her dream sequence. And like when yeah. in my dreams, I'm beautiful and bad. Yeah, like I, I double switchblade, man. Yeah, so yeah. I think I think she imprinted a persona on me that I always kind of was drawn to after that in in this movie because it was yeah. she was really cool in this one. And she's another like, example. She's a really good actress. Like, yeah. even though she doesn't have a whole lot of lines. You remember her. You remember Will. You remember Philip. He was dead in the first like 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But you remember him because yeah. they're all likable kids. Oh, and Jennifer, who was the cigarette yeah. woman who wanted to go off to Hollywood. Yeah. And she wanted to be a TV star. I like mm-hmm. it. In real life, the actual actress that played her, she got nothing but TV roles after this. So oh, yeah. yeah she good did on it. you. She did it. <laughs> I got something I wanted to talk about, Chris. Okay. Um, and I'm sure you're going to want to talk about this as well. It's a very huge part of the film. Yeah. Now, the thing that gives, uh, was it with Dr. Gordon, Gordon, thank you. The, the Bill Maher lookalike, as I said, yeah. gives him some extra things to do in this movie and get him from point A to point B yeah. is that he meets this nun. And you know how big of a fan I am of the one person dialogue piece where they're going to go on for a few pages sure. here. And, uh, I think to me the peak of that is Halloween one, the original where Donna Pleasance yeah. talks about what how he met Michael to the cop while they're standing there in the dark house. Right. I get a very similar feel whenever he finally corners the nun right. in the temple. Yeah. I guess it's a temple of some sort. Uh yeah. but she says this was actually a room where they used to keep other mentally deficient people. Mm-hmm in here and she paints this horrible picture yeah but it does stay with you and Absolutely. it's a it's an amazingly strong scene one of the most well acted scenes in the entire franchise yeah. which is crazy because it doesn't involve robert right but the perception and and having robert in your head is yeah. still always there as always it should be yeah but yeah i love and we'll just call her the nun for now yeah until <laughs> i spoil it here at the <laughs> end or you spoil it yeah. uh telling about how Freddie was born. No. The fact that he was a product of, who knows, a thousand maniacs. The bastard son of a thousand maniacs. Man, that took turns on this woman as she was left behind. This nun that was left behind and locked in over like a vacation weekend. Yeah. Ugh. That's another thing that that mythology, and probably because the scene was so effective, that always stuck with me too. It's always been in my brain yeah. since I first saw yeah. it. Man, yeah, that does nothing but add to the mythology of Freddy. And yeah. another reason why this is arguably the best Nightmare movie, just for reasons like that. And it also continues something from the first movie that was sort of carried over in the second, but really expounded upon, which is the religious portion of the movie, that he is a dream demon, yeah. like very much even more so in this one. We talked about the religious iconography in the first one, but it wasn't really a huge deal. It was just more for tone and for support of the feeling of the story. Yeah. But in this one, it's very much a part of the plot because yeah. they use holy water. They use, yeah. they need a crucifix to, to fight against yeah. the unclean spirit, I yes. think is what she calls it. You have to commit two sins to do that, by the way, because you have to go into the yeah. church, <laughs> steal some holy water, take it off grounds, and steal a crucifix from the church. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they just kind of this movie is all about ramping things up you ramp up his personality you ramp up the religious aspect of it and i think it works really well it's the thing that didn't maybe work as well for me 
I liked the junkyard sequence. So, backing up just a little bit to set that up, John Saxon's character, Nancy's father, is kind of done with life, basically. He's given yeah. up. He's, he's a drunkard. He's like the complete opposite of what that original yeah. approach was. Yeah. He's not proactive in the least. Right. He just wants to forget about it. He's right. drinking to forget about it. Mm-hmm. He's turned into his dead ex-wife yeah. there. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But Nancy and Dr. Gordon go to try to get his help because Nancy realizes that he is going to know where they buried Freddy's bones, basically, or where they yeah. put his dead, his body after they burned him. And so he doesn't want to do it at first. Her father doesn't want to do it. But yeah. Dr. Gordon convinces him to go to the junkyard. I like the junkyard sequence. That's where Freddy's bones are hidden in one of the, the trunks of one of the cars. Yeah. I like the cars coming on and everything. The Jason and the Argonauts, like, stop-motion <laughs> skeleton. Yeah. Which worked better as the puppet. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But not so much here. It felt, it still feels a little weird to me, especially since it's real life. This is not a dream in any way at all. Yeah. It's it's real life magic again, which isn't really explained so much. Yeah. And what's less explained is why the skeleton has the glove when he <laughs> should not have had the glove. Not at all. Yeah. Like it's, that's, that's the most legit nitpick you could have in this yeah. otherwise great movie. Yeah. But other than that, uh, the point I was getting to is that, like, the holy water was used to literally, like, he splashed, he had to consecrate the ground to bury the bones to get rid of the unclean spirit. And when he was splashing with the holy water in the dream sequence that was going on parallel to this, you could see the the light coming out of Freddy and and the, yeah. And he was, like, sort of disappearing, although clearly it didn't, like, kill him completely. (laughs) But I really liked that they took that nugget of an idea from the first one and expanded it into how most of this movie is kind of wrapped up. Yeah. And um, I love the worm sequence. I think the worm's great. <laughs> yeah. And I what? love the theme song. Yeah. I'm just trying to get to these little things before we uh, yeah. wrap it up. But, uh, yeah. The, the dream, that's the second dream with the worm for yeah. Kristen. And one of my favorite shots in the entire movie is in that sequence. And it's... One that just goes by really quick, but Kristen, after she walks into the house and she sees the pig, they well, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, the pig. Oh my god! Little story on that in the interview stuff. Uh, Chuck Russell and uh, Frank Darabont did like uh, interview together no. um, for the Blu-ray that we watched, and they were saying that Chuck Russell really wanted the pig sequence in the movie, but they were going to cut it because it was too expensive and they didn't have time. They were on a short schedule. They didn't have time to like make a puppet, and so yeah. Russ, Chuck Russell was like, "Well, just he just sent somebody to go buy a cooked pig, a real cooked pig, put it on the table, yeah. put someone under the table, and have him just like push the head up." Yeah, and that's what he did, and that was way more effective, I think, than yeah. a puppet would have been. And the guy who was the puppeteer of the pig, apparently, yeah. I don't know if they told him in advance or he was like, "Oh, it'll be all right. I'm, you know, I've done worse or something." Yeah. They maybe didn't even bother to tell him they spoiled that pig out in the open and open air that's why it was for all black. weeks on end yeah. to get that effect so they didn't have to like spend any money on it wow so they didn't even have to make it up or anything and the guy i wish i had the guy's name because he deserves to have his name said <laughs> anywhere on the air he goes i can still smell it to this day I bet. it's never left my hands it's like the it, when you, you told me that story when we were watching yeah. it it's like yeah. the pig guts that they used in day of the dead that were like spoiled Oh, when yeah. the the colonel or whatever the captain that was getting torn yeah. apart apparently yeah. like everybody was like throwing up because yeah. it was that bad yeah i, I believe that too that, which yeah. you don't cut that out of the movie just no. keep, it, keep, yeah. keep filming <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah oh and by the way you know why the worm's green you know this don't you yeah, yeah go ahead 
Because uh, if you, they'd have used Freddy's actual skin tone, it would have just looked like a giant penis. Yeah, and so it was, still kind of does. I mean, yeah, it's definitely phallic, yeah. but I'm just glad that someone made the choice. Yeah, let's go with that green yeah, tone. They, they talked know. about it in, in some of the interviews, yeah. too. They were like, they got it to the set, and when it was that big and that pink, they were like, I think it was the director, Russell, <laughs> was like, oh, maybe we need to do something yeah. about that. So they, yes. they colored it real quick. Yes. But getting to my one of my favorite shots is in that sequence when Kristen is standing there in that room where the snake comes out of the wall, yeah. prior to the snake coming out, you see it kind of, the rug kind of bubbles up and down. Yeah, it's like, like an earthquake. Yeah, or yeah. like Bugs Bunny coming yeah. through the, the yeah. ground. Yeah, burrowing. Yeah, but there's one shot where the camera is kind of, it's a wider shot where it kind of pans across the room and you see the the walls kind of break apart as yeah. the snake thing is going behind the walls. And it's just that one shot and Kristen's yeah. standing there in the middle of it, just screaming. Yeah. Where do that's, you go? That's one of my favorite shots in the movie. I love yeah. that so much. Cause it's literally everywhere now at this yeah. point. Cause yeah. we never see the tail. That's yeah. The thing. So yeah. that's why you know that that's legit. It also reminds me of, this is a complete tangent. Reminds me of the first resident evil game. If you remember the snake that you fight in the upstairs room. Yeah. It reminds me like a hundred percent of that. Nice. Maybe that's where they got it. From. Maybe. Yeah. 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 But yeah, uh, talking about we will not be doing the Resident Evil franchise. By the way, on this. Uh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I wanna. I might, but I, I'm not Mostly. a fan okay. of most of it. Right. But yeah. <laughs> so what? What's your favorite dream in the movie? I don't know if I have one myself because there's so many good moments in a lot. Well, of them. are you asking forty year old Joey, or are you asking like ten, eleven year old Joey? Also, by the way, speaking of Joey, yeah, uh, that one, yeah. The, the nurse like 10 year old Joey is Joey's dream I, did anybody rent a copy of this on VHS and right. there not be a bunch of squiggly lines right. during this one yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure some of that was my fault uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna go with that to a point it's okay. not my favorite because it does go bad it does go sour yeah. at some point yeah, yeah so you know I think yeah I'm gonna stick with the first one I, okay. I gotta go yeah. with the first nightmare and that's ever the whole I get to put the whole kebab in there yeah you know the the, the false finish and then into the actual finish but yeah. definitely that house stuff is just tremendous. All of the stuff for the house yeah. with Kristen is great. Yeah. But let's I'm gonna go with the first one for the initial I think I'm gonna go with the second one with the snake thing. Yeah. And that's where she pulls Nancy into the dream as well. Yeah. Uh, the realization yeah. of Kristen's dream warrior powers is that yeah. she can pull people into her yeah. dreams. And I'm really glad and we'll get to it more in the next episode, I'm really glad that they kept that going yeah. for part four yeah that gives it a massive leg up but like i said right. we'll, we'll get to that later yeah so yeah i'm gonna stick with that uh favorite kill my hmm. favorite kill is probably philip the the marionette one yeah i just it's there's no wisecracking in that one we yeah. kind of talked about that because that's the first real kill in the movie yeah. sure. it's like the third dream yeah but seeing his veins like pulled out of his skin and just yeah. walking and he like phases through the wall yeah and everything. It doesn't make 100% sense because he does walk through a, a locked door, but there's magic in the movie. There's a walking skeleton later on, so it's yeah. it's fine. But uh, I think the visuals and everything and just seeing Freddy's gigantic face above the that tower and him just like slicing his veins and him falling off the roof. Yeah, like, I guess it's that, all really well done. That was the beginning of his larger in life persona. So yeah, I think they literally. set that perception <laughs> yeah. to be the reality of it. Yeah. So I guess that makes me in charge of like kind of almost coming with the second best. I'm actually torn between uh the needles and the T V. Yeah. The needles is more heartbreaking for sure. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna go with that. Because yeah. that one really made me feel a lot. It still makes me squirm too. It does, yeah. man, because I hate needles anyway. Yeah. And by the way, I'm a terrible person to draw blood on. It always takes like two or three times <sighs> with me, so 
I hate them three times more yeah. than the average folk do. <laughs> and uh, I did know something I can use now to take me out of it a little bit, and you might want to play along at home when you mm-hmm. watch this. Uh, one of the needles, I think it's Pinky Needle, mm-hmm. does not go in. It yeah. awkwardly goes into the wall, yeah. and then he kind of shifts it into the arm. Right. So she only gets 9 out of 10 on the initial go. <laughs> right. So that helps in any way. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm going to go with that because I, my heart really broke for uh, yeah. Taryn. Yeah, and like I said, I really like the Taryn character. And I like her dream as well. It's really short, so I can really pick it like as a favorite. But mm-hmm. I like Wills as well, especially when I was a kid. Sure. Uh, seeing him become the wizard. He yeah. looked kind of goofy in his like wizard costume. Yeah. Um, and he ends up just getting stabbed. Yeah, he just turned out to be a one-hit wonder. Yeah, you know? but it, it was fun for me as a kid to see him like shoot lightning and stuff out of his hands. Yeah, sure. And I, it's still fun. Yeah. So at the end of it all, then I like it. Freddy, you know, gets killed for the time being. He gets thrown out of this universe yeah. for a while temporarily. Of course, there's lots of funerals in this thing. Yeah. And then the big reveal at the end, and uh, you know, he sees the nun again that he's kind of mm-hmm. that he only had the one conversation with. Yeah. And obviously, he's going to thank her for inspiring the the Freddy kill. Mm. You knew about him, and you helped me stop this. And then he turns the corner, and she's gone. And then he just kind of he just happens to look down mm. and see that the tombstone right there by his feet says Amanda Krueger. Yeah, Sister and, Mary Helena was Amanda Krueger. Yeah. yeah. So and it had her, and conveniently had her stage name yeah. right there on the uh, <laughs> tombstone there. So yeah, yeah, I like the reveal. I I it, I didn't realize that that's what it would be the first time yeah. so it's it's a good reveal i think it all works really really well and it's interesting like story-wise that she would go to him and not directly to nancy for that yeah i guess because she'd been like haunting the hospital i guess for yeah. a while so she knew his, what was in his heart sure uh, or whatever he needed to be shown the light yeah. though and yeah. yeah he he did need to be shown in order to believe and to help yeah. and he I guess because when he was profiling Nancy early on or pseudo stalking her, he already knows yeah. what's in her medicine cabinet. Right. So he's not sold completely on Nancy other than he knows he wants to have sex with her maybe at some point. Right. That's all. That's all yeah. that is. Yeah. So. Apparently there was a kiss that they filmed, but it got cut out of the movie. Yeah. And the, the actor talked about that a little bit in yeah. one of the interviews he did. But Drats. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the last funeral, though, is Nancy herself because in uh, and probably her dad and yeah probably her dad as well because they both end up getting killed off in this movie which i i don't mind it when characters get killed off in series like this but it's still kind of heartbreaking especially the way they both went you know yeah the the dad kind of just got killed yeah they both got slashed and that was pretty much it you know Um, it was just like uh man and freddie really stuck it in for for nancy like like you did, you got me the first time, yeah. and now I'm really gonna rub it in your fucking face. Yeah, he's killed her parents. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, and now he's gonna show up with the with the Scooby Doo mask on <laughs> as, as the dad. Man, what a dick. Yeah, <laughs> like that's some bullshit right there. Yeah. So even if you were you know, like getting into wisecracking Freddy, like how can you like the guy after he does something like yeah, that? Yeah, that is some bullshit. Yeah. So yeah. Forever a villain. Yes. <laughs> um, I did want to mention one thing that popped up again for Freddy. This is three movies in a row where his tongue is like a featured character in the movie. Yeah. Um, in <laughs> oh, the, man. Yeah. They dialed it up on steroids for yeah, this one. Yeah, because in 
Joey's childhood favorite dream, Joey in the movie as well. Yes. Uh, in his dream sequence when he's making out with the hot naked nurse. Topless nurse. Topless nurse. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, she's almost naked. And her tongue gets really, really long. And that's what actually lashes him like to the bed. Like yeah. wrists and ankles to the bed. And then Joey just has to hang out there for like a day or more. Just yeah. hanging above the pit. Yeah. Uh, also back is the the heat and the fire of course i mean it makes sense because he was in a boiler room but yeah. it also is an indication of hell and the demon yeah. aspect of him but it pops up over and over and over in this movie the the tricycle melts in one of Kristen's dreams yeah. and the of course the the final sequence where you have Kristen and kincaid and nancy going down 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 um again going down 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 like they were in previous movies yeah. Um, they're basically going into hell because there's the yeah. big pit of fire that, that Joey's yeah. over with skeletons and stuff yeah. in it. So I just, I like the continuity, even if they don't really pay attention to anything that happened in the yeah. second one. There's still that, that thread. And I don't know why they felt the need to do this. And once again, I, I'm not technical. I don't work on movie sets. But apparently all the Joey hanging stuff had to be done upside down. So there's another callback to part oh, really? one. And they said he passed out a few times. <laughs> like, I wonder why. Like hanging upside down, like from the roof. Huh. I'm just like, hmm. Like, why? At yeah. no point do it. Maybe it's because it's a pre-CG world, and I guess you can't... There's maybe something to do with the angle in which he know. is, but I don't, yeah, know, I don't know, man. Yeah, but know. apparently that's the deal. Like, 90% of the Joey stuff dangling from the bed is all upside down. It's hmm. Like, hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know it's why like, that would be a thing. It seemed um, like it'd create more issues yeah. with, like... Well, he doesn't have long hair, so that wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. But, I don't know. It's interesting. You want to get out of here? Get to the body count? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't anything have anything bad to say about the movie. Yeah. We talked about the, the dreams and stuff. And watch yeah, it. It's, yeah, watch it. We kind of told you everything about it. <laughs> but you, if you haven't seen it, it's still a fun movie to watch. So yeah, you know, just get to the, yeah. the kill count. Hit it. The first death in the movie, the aforementioned favorite death from both of us, is Philip, the guy with the puppets. He has his arms and legs slashed. The veins are pulled out. He is marionetted through the wall, through the door up to the tower, cut, and he falls to his death. And as Will says, his eyes were wide open. Um, that's one thing that I found interesting in this movie, and reading some of Wes Craven's comments about his initial idea kind of supports this part of it. Uh, he wanted to explore more different states of consciousness and not just sleep. So Philip was a sleepwalker. I don't yeah. know necessarily how sleepwalking works as far as like the, yeah. the biology of it, yeah. but uh, I guess you can still sleepwalk with your eyes open. I don't yeah. know. It's just a different mental state. You're not necessarily asleep, but you're not awake at the same time. Yeah. There's a stand-up comedian recently that's really brought this to light, and he wrote a book about it too. Mm. A guy named Mike Burbiglia. Go look up his stuff. Okay. His, he talks about it in detail, yeah. his sleepwalking episodes. It's mm. something else. No, okay. Anyway, I just felt the need to bring that yeah up, for so. sure but yeah uh, this has to set the record for most amount of witnesses in a freddy kill yeah it was that i can all tell the so kids yeah. yeah so and they were watching him and it's i think it's interesting because they do touch on different states of consciousness because dr gordon hypnotizes all the kids and yeah. nancy and himself how does he hypnotize himself i don't know <laughs> but apparently that happened because they all enter a different state of yeah. consciousness so freddy can apparently get to you whether you're asleep or not, as long as you're not fully awake, he can get, well, right. I guess he, Skeleton Freddy can do it, even if you are awake, but <laughs> Dream Demon Freddy can get to you mm. no matter, so if you were on drugs, maybe, that would have been something interesting to, like, if Terran had taken that orderly's offer to go into the drug cabinet, and if she had 
like gotten high on drugs maybe yeah. freddie could have gotten her that way as well yeah. even though she wasn't technically asleep so it's not a missed opportunity but it's something they could have explored that's a good thing that she didn't take him up on the offer because we would have seen that pot smoking worm way early I in the series right. yeah okay <laughs> oh no um moving along number two the second death in the movie is jennifer the cigarette girl who burned herself with the cigarettes for some reason that always stuck with me too a lot of things this movie really had an impact on me i think you're not counting Jaja gabor's death i guess we didn't see it she well yeah, that I'll was be... a dream that wasn't necessarily <laughs> Jaja's dream yeah so no she does not okay. count you know, uh, you you know this. Uh, Dick Cavett, who completely agreed to do the cameo because they asked who he wanted to interview. He goes, "Is Freddie going to kill the guest?" They're like, "Yeah." yeah. He goes, "Jaja Gabor is the stupidest person I ever met <laughs> in my life." So let's do that. <laughs> so, but he, you don't get the payoff. Yeah, you don't, she is you not don't see her get slashed. Yeah, Freddie rears back with his glove, but it yeah. goes to static before yeah. that happens. Dang, and that causes Jennifer to walk up to the TV, yeah. and this is the point where Freddy starts to crack wise, yeah. and where he gets real kind of goofy a little bit to me yeah. in my eyes. Much like a lot of people's debut album, it never gets better after this. Right, Welcome to Prime Time, bitch. Yeah, is his best line. Yeah, I think. and yeah. I believe. Robert England takes credit for that line, at least an ad lib or a version yeah. of what was actually in the script. Okay. So I believe him. Yeah. And to me, though, I, I can't take it 100% seriously, one, because of the line. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. Don't sure, get me wrong. Sure. But when he his head comes up out of the TV, the antenna are still on his head and yeah. they wiggle around. Yeah, he looks like, like Ray actually. Walston in it. <laughs> yeah. So I always kind of laugh at that scene, even though it's, it is pretty scary like yeah. when you see freddy appear on the tv like yeah. on the tv with jaja yeah. and then come up and then the metal arm yeah. things but yeah it's good and i i liked how it seemed like jennifer couldn't really do that because how's she going to jump up there but that's one thing that i didn't really talk about like in the initial one of the other initial drafts of the script it was all about these kids coming to coming to town or something is how they put it but all these kids were committing suicide or so mm. people thought so going back to Kristen in the opening sequence where she slits her wrist while she's dreaming, to me that says that Freddy is kind of hiding the fact that he exists. Yeah. It's not Glenn being sucked into the bed and blood going everywhere. He's actually <laughs> hiding the fact that he is still haunting yeah. people's dreams because he knows what happened to him when Nancy found out. Sure. Yeah, a good serial killer knows how to keep a low profile. Yeah, that's and so that's what he's doing. I really like that aspect of it. And even though that wasn't really a big part of this, the final movie, they still kind of keep it in because in the conversation that Dr. Gordon and Max have in that sequence where they're walking down the hall together, Max talks about kids committing suicide. So it's still there in the background. You just kind of have to pay attention to it. Yeah. And I think that's why maybe Kristen didn't die because he, Freddie is relying on forcing the kids to kill themselves rather than just magically slashing them, which we know he can do because he slashed the message to Nancy on Joey's <laughs> chest. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's taking a little more cautious approach to, to his killing, or maybe it's because he doesn't have enough power until he kills more people. We yeah. don't really know, but it's just an interesting thing yeah. to me. And I really love the idea of not necessarily magic, but putting the doubt even in the kids' heads that this guy that they're dreaming about is real because if they see other kids that are just committing suicide, then they're not going to think that their dreams are really real. Yeah. So it's I think it's it's really cool. It's all yeah. kind of underneath the surface, 
But I think that's all really neat. Yeah. Well said. Thanks. <laughs> Number three, the third death in the movie does happens. The, does the pig count? No. Okay. Maybe, sorry, yeah, the pig sorry. was already dead oh, when sorry. they showed yeah, up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so number three is late in the movie. This is another movie where most of the deaths happen late in the movie. It's Taryn, unfortunately. She gets to be beautiful and bad, and she does fight Freddy for a little bit, and she does okay, but she does have the gaping holes in her arms, and that's where Freddy inserts nine of his ten needles, and <laughs> she ends up dying. Yeah. Number four, the fourth death is Will, the wizard master. Of course, he becomes a wizard. He can walk. He was in a wheelchair. We didn't yep. even mention that, but he yeah. he walks. He oh, shoots the, the wheelchair with the spikes on it. Yeah. Just wanted cool. to say that. Yeah, he blows up the wheelchair. <laughs> so he's like freeing himself yeah. from all of these things that are holding yeah. his back. It reminded well, me of the cleaners in the labyrinth. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he ends up rushing Freddy, and Freddy just stabs him. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a little letdown at the end of that one. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like getting picked off on your first run of the Super Bowl. You yeah. know, like... it's it's like Indiana Jones shooting that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There's a better analogy. <laughs> I like that one better. <laughs> Number five is Nancy's father, Donald Thompson. I will say his name, full name, one last time. We speak your name. Yes. He is stabbed by the Jason and the Argonaut skeleton with the glove that he shouldn't have had. Um, it's an <laughs> undignified death for a great actor and yeah. a great character. But At he, least his character did a little good before yeah, he went. That's the whole thing. He, he redeemed himself. And he, he, he helped even though he didn't necessarily want to. He outlived his use, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then number six, Nancy Thompson. She was stabbed by who she thought was her ghost father at the time in a dream. Yes. Um, but she was killed by Freddy. Freddy got his revenge on from years prior. He finally got yeah. one of the last kids yeah. of Elm Street. It, I guess maybe I, I was going to say she deserved better, but in an artsy way, it's kind of a Dracula death, you know, yeah. like he's in, in, in his arms and the whole thing. So it's almost something classic about it. So yeah. I don't hate the death. I just get so mad every time I see it. Yeah, and it's kind of the thing... Heather Langenkamp did an interview in Fangoria as well that I read, and she was talking about how her character Nancy and Freddy are kind of at the same level in this movie. Like, she knows how to beat him, and even though she can't face him, like, head-on all the time yeah. because he's so powerful at that point, yeah. for them, they're nemesis. They're Batman and the Joker. Yeah, like, yeah. it's that kind of thing, and yeah. they take each other down. So it's a very cinematic, it's a very, like, heroic kind of story, I think. Yeah. And I think it works really, really well. Yeah, and even though Patricia Arquette will not return yeah. in part four, sadly, passing the torch to Kristen, who proves to be a great character. Yeah, I like for that. sure. And so. I, I, I like that as well. And so the final shot of the movie, there were six deaths. The final shot of the movie is of Dr. Gordon. He has the dream doll that Nancy showed him earlier beside the house, the Thompson house that Kristen had created. And the light comes on as he's sleeping. Yeah. So is Freddy gone? Of now, course he's not. I was going to ask you the theory on that. Some people say it's Freddy, yeah. but some people say because of everything that Nancy learned yeah. that she might have kind of Jedi'd herself into like she's always there now too. Or maybe they're both there. Yeah, it's like interesting that. to kind of extrapolate. I like that idea. Yeah. Um, to me, without hearing that, 
I think it's Freddy. Sure. Because it's it's Freddy's house at this point. Well, he so doesn't like the light. What's he right. turning lights on for? You see how he likes mirrors right. so much? No. No, he doesn't. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about that cool like mirror sequence. Oh, the mirror sequence is cool. Yeah. When all the Freddies come out of the mirrors. Yeah, we got to leave, leave something to the imagination. Yeah. yeah, if only it was Army of Darkness, there would have been like 200 Freddies. Right. Like, <laughs> missed opportunity the, for that yeah, Jason the, Ash the Freddy glass movie. breaks and all the tiny Freddies come out. Yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> Gulliver's Travels meets yeah. Chinatown meets... Sure. <laughs> uh, for that final shot, to me, even knowing that, and I like that theory, having the dream doll beside the house, though, yeah. it makes me feel like it is Freddy in the house, but Nancy is kind of represented by the dream doll. Oh, I like that. They're still, even in death, they're supposedly both dead at the time, yeah. they're yeah. still kind of, she's watching over the house and keeping him contained within it. Oh, I like that even better. That's, so, that's a way better yeah. uh, thing to do right there. Because so. why else would the doll be a thing? Because it was never, it was only mentioned <laughs> in that one scene. They, they, what do you call that? That was a, uh, what do you call those people that show up to explain shit? Oh, like the, the exposition yeah. dumpers? It was yeah. the exposition doll. Yeah. She, one line of dialogue set that tone for yeah. that last shot. Yeah. And yeah. It, I think that was good. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I like that. And, uh, Arguably greatest theme song in the history of movies. Yeah. So Dream Warriors is greatness. Great music video too. Yeah. And as old as it is now, because yeah. we're talking like, this is 33 years old now. I know. Oh, wow. Stupid. Uh, but the Doc and Dream Warriors video, there was such a investment of this tying in really well because they were an up and, they hadn't like made it, made it yet, but they were making it. Yeah. They were up and coming and they were just, and this is one of the things that actually helped them hit their peak. Yeah. Uh, but th- there was enough to where they would film original footage around the band on these sets and uh, you can't tell the difference when you yeah. watch the video. That's the real thing that's yeah. really cool about it. So, same cinematography, same yeah. thing. So yeah, it's a great video. It's a great song. It's 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 an it's kind of a horror movie anthem at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So yeah, another good uh, little cherry on top there for for overall great film. Yes, and the music video is on the Blu-ray, right? Yeah, it's on yeah. it's on the Blu-ray. I, yeah. yeah, I didn't have to go to YouTube or yeah. anything. So and uh, even better. This is one of those things where, yeah, love me my Blu-rays, yeah. but that old DVD box set, yeah. uh, which we'll probably talk about some more on part 10, yeah. but you have to find the video in a maze. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the, that. The maze is something That's else. Cool, yeah. Yeah. They you tried should, harder back then. should open that up again before yeah. we uh, do part 10. Still have one. Yeah. yeah, all right, cool. Let's get out of here. But Let's we, get on to the Dream Master and Rennie Harlan. Yes. <laughs> you are pumped for part four, which I am. I'm getting more pumped because you are pumped yeah. for it. And I'm anxious to see what I think about it after this next viewing. And you'll be able to hear what I think about it on the next episode of our Nightmare on Elm Street franchise retrospective, which you can find, as always, on The Last Theater on cnjradio.com, as well as all the other CNJ Radio family of podcasts. Rock Strikes 10, which Joey has completed his best 100 songs, best 100 albums, of the decade of the previous decade so if you missed any of those go check those out i worked really hard on it so please go listen to it listen to those on cnjradio.com and stick around for all the other great shows that we have over there contact me on twitter at the last theater and we're also on facebook yes indeed all right chris let's get to dream master bye
place is hit, Jennifer. Your big break and key me. Fuck the front time, bitch. 